With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry. And with me is Elric Kane. How's it going? How was your Thanksgiving? Man, it feels like a year ago. I have no memory of any of the it was, time. It was it's like, all gone. It, it wasn't even a week. It was like five days. Uh, what is that? Tryptophan? It, it just totally blacked <laughs> out afterwards. Uh, though I will say uh, that Luke Petrowski, uh, good screenwriter, better pie maker, uh seriously probably, what type of pie did luke make he made what is that what are the biscotti cookies that you get on the airplane he made a biscotti like tiramisu or cookie cookie dip but they're I just called I, biscotti right like they're whatever yeah, that biscotti. flavor you get on the plane he turned that into a pie and it was you everyone basically agreed it's probably the best pie anyone had ever tasted and i was just like wow. and he made it from scratch very impressive uh but you should watch the night house in his honor because it's a good film too <laughs> but it's not as good as that pie <laughs> As good as it is, Super Dark Times, great movie, not as great good as movie, the pie. not as good as pie. There, I, we we could go on. New Hellraiser, really interesting take, not as interesting a take as his pie. I am now going to have to beg Luke to bring some of his pie to trivia so I can try this out. I um I was super sick for Thanksgiving, so I didn't even go have dinner. But luckily, um I still got uh my shoe fly pie, which is what it's. I think that's like a Pennsylvania thing. Like it was something that my parents always made in Virginia. We always had shoe fly pie. I'm pretty sure that's from down from Pennsylvania. Um, but it's like a really heavy, like like a shortbread, but with a fuck ton of molasses thrown in and it's just really sweet it's like this really sweet shortbread pie ish sugary thing hmm. and i love that shit with a tea it's just decadent so i wonder if i've tried I that i need to know i need to try that i can whip one up definitely i mean i lived in so pennsylvania so i feel like and they had a big fair and i feel like if i i would have had it if it's a pennsylvania thing because i did try anything sweet there but i don't know I'm 99% sure it's Pennsylvania Dutch because there's there's parts of my family that are diehard Appalachia and they're going to have very specific things for Thanksgiving dinner. And then I have other parts that are more Northern Virginia and they have that's where the shoe fly pie comes out of is that side of the family. So yeah. I feel like it's more Pennsylvania Dutch. But um, but my parents still do very well, at least it's what they always did, what a large group of people in their community did which is you have oysters on thanksgiving day mm. oysters or shrimp um that it's more of like a seafood but that's again bay we're right on the yeah. the bay so yeah that was always and blue crabs was always part of it okay. um so yeah but i didn't get that i missed that i missed oysters uh but, your cuisine um, would not have flown in the movie thanksgiving it would have just been weird not. if they're eating oysters uh oysters the whole time it wouldn't have quite worked so much but uh but it is we are we are holiday theming 
this entire episode uh, in the second half of the episode, as you'll see soon, uh, because of the release of Thanksgiving, finally, all these years later, uh, from Eli Roth, and also because of, um, I think, the holiday that I've already forgotten. The holidays. It, we just had Thanksgiving, and we're on our way to Christmas. You t- Okay. I feel like you no, I'm not. Coffee. I think this break. I think if 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 we're Shrooms. still if we're still doing the show next year by uh, Halloween, that will be our last episode of the year. I've decided. I think I think you need to go out with Halloween. I, I don't. What's the point of the rest of the year? The rest of the year is just like dead time. Like, you are so weak. I'll pick up the rest of the year doing like Nightmare University episodes. No, I'll just I feel throw like some of those people in. People just want to go hard, and then Halloween hits, and you're just like in coma for like two months. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh my gosh! No, this is Halloween is my chaos season, yeah. but for me the holiday holidays is when I actually get to watch stuff that I don't necessarily have to be watching for a show. Like a lot of times based on jobs I'm doing or like the screenings that we're hosting in Halloween um, and stuff that we're doing for this show. I feel like I, I, my viewing always has an agenda, which is fine. I mean, I don't say that like a problem because I'm still loving everything that I'm watching and getting to be a part of. But like once Thanksgiving happens, it's like my extracurricular commitments drop away and I can just be like, fuck it. I'm going to watch like Killer Clouds from Outer Space because why the fuck not? Oh, no, like, I love watching movies yeah. after Halloween. I don't like work. Like I feel like anything oh, where I'm on a no. on a timetable to deliver, I'm kind of like, eh. I think I should just be allowed a massive holiday where I get to travel the world from uh, November first to Christmas. That should be that's my dream life, and I am going to find that life someday. And you can't stop me. And if if I need to <laughs> podcast on Christmas Eve from Paris, that's fine. Um, so mine. Um, so I did this thing. It was a game that I was playing as part of a birthday party a couple of weeks ago where like you had to, it was like this get to know your friends thing. And one of the things was like, what is this person's ultimate goal? And mine was to travel the world on a sailboat. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I've got to find a way to do that and still watch lots of horror films, but eventually I'm going to spend my Christmas on a sailboat. I like traveling the world, but I'm not as big as sailboats are okay. I'm a big train guy. I love being on a train and I love like international trains where they're just like going along and you could fall asleep. And then like, instead of driving, when driving's stressful, when you're in different places that with different Mm -hmm. rules, but trains are like, to me, the greatest, um, I always wanted to do the uh, Trans-Siberian Rail. That's like probably my number one goal. So did I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go to like m- m- uh, from Mongolia to like St. Petersburg or something sounds like wild. So now we have to do a whole train horror episode. We will podcast from a sailboat somewhere uh, in the <laughs> Baltic. And then we will. Uh, Wait, what? how did we get to the Baltic? Did, and it I sounds really somewhere. cold yeah. at Christmas You're the one who wants time. to go around the world in a boat. You're yeah, gonna but that's out so at the Baltic? I can like. No, I'm going to like fuck off to Cabo for Christmas. I'm not going to go to the Cabo's Baltic Cabo is not the whole sea. world. You have to keep going, you realize. You're going to travel. <laughs> and you can't time your journey to be perfectly seasonal with every stop. It's just not realistic, Becca. I have a feeling like the ba- I just assume the Baltic is like half frozen right now. Like you just can't like just cruise I, mean, I think the Arctic is it. colder than the Baltic. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think any sea journey you do is probably going to have a cold streak. So probably pack it. We're taking the sailboat up to Nome for, you know, the holidays. Yeah. It's great. OK, <laughs> so. for Christ's sake, Thanksgiving by Eli Roth. All right. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this movie. Uh, okay, Thanksgiving. I, Eli I was Roth. too excited to wait for you. And then luckily I didn't because you got sick. So I wouldn't have been able to see it because you haven't been able to see it because you got sick. I'm, I haven't. I'm still but, coughing. But you have a good excuse. You're a good excuse. Yeah. Uh, it, I started with my uh, friend, Editor Star. Uh, this 
is you know as excited some of the comparisons that were being made were uh like you know happy birthday to me and saint um valentine's day and things like that uh what's the one uh what is the one Oof, with the gu- the prowler was another one i heard thrown around oh. so that got me pretty excited it definitely has a few kind of brutal moments like that but the characters are still pretty eli roth you know what i mean and uh, which is, you know, written with, by a 15 year old mentality. Well, he interestingly where you're going. Well, for? his co-writer is his childhood friend. And and I do. I really like the story around this. I heard him on Mick Garris. Oh, P.S. This we should tribute our next couple of episodes to Mick Garris, who is, oh, who yeah. is uh, retiring from the podcast game. Uh, so as to make our Rondo existence a little easier, he said. Um, and he uh, is that what he no, said? No. He was like, "So you'll finally win." No, we don't want we don't want the seconds. There's no <laughs> leftovers. No. Uh, but but massive <laughs> respect. Mick is uh, really probably the greatest of all time when it comes to the interview and oh, yeah. long format work. All the years we've been doing this, he has also been doing this, and so I just, you know, he's only got. I think two more episodes left and there's one of them is a live episode. He's doing a live one. I might try to go just to, just I think we should. Um, And our friend who also has helped us on our show in the past, uh, John Holland does all the graphics for his show. So, uh, you know, really uh, cool, great work by uh, Mick all these years. So kudos if you're listening and if not, um, and congrats on that Rondo. Uh, You must enjoy that. It must be really nice. Mick. I, I hear seething. I hear seething. Uh, well, for those watching on video, it's not seething too much. Oh, uh, I will go see, to sleep next to my rondo, but we, mine's on my mantle. You only need one. I'm no, fine with one. one. I don't. If we never get another. Um, um. Anyways, you were deep in on some Eli yes. Roth co-writer, right? So he's he's got a very good interview on on uh, Mick. That's where I was going. It's actually got me very excited about the movie. His co-writer was his is his best friend since I think they're like 14 or 13. They came up with wow. the idea for this then. So there were 13 or 14 where they were like, there needs to be a Thanksgiving horror film. And that led to the trailer, obviously. And the trailer is hard to live up to. And it's a tough one because it's so well done, but it doesn't have to deliver any. It doesn't have to deliver characters or any plot. Uh, so it's just got the kills. Um, so there's some interesting stuff. It starts with a Black Friday riot of all these people trying to get into uh, this shop, you know, the night before and or the day after or whatever it is a year prior to Thanksgiving in this case. And uh, it's, it becomes a bit of a massacre, but it's not a slasher. It's more just people being greedy and awful to each other. And there's things in that that didn't necessarily kick it off right exactly for my taste, but that's cool. Um, and then it uh, basically goes to a year later and somebody is basically taking out the people they viewed as responsible for that riot. And the carver is really cool. The mask is really cool. The setting of the town where, which is literally the birthplace of Thanksgiving, the holiday is set. Um, and it's definitely Eli and his wheelhouse. You know, it's been a number of years since he's done a horror film. Yeah. That's Green Inferno, he said. Um, so that- No, well, I mean, since a horror film, but let me just say, I have to give some props to Eli because in the meantime, he did a couple of movies that my kids love, mm. like um, House with Clock in Its Walls, I think is his. Him. Um, yeah. and they're definitely more adolescent gateway horror, but they're really good okay. compared to. I'm always kind of Luke on lukewarm on some of Eli's movies. Like some of them I love, and then some of them I'm kind of like, I don't know about you, Green Inferno. Um, but yeah, so they're they're a little hit or miss for me personally. But those ones that he did for adolescent range, they hit. Yeah, obviously, I don't want to ruin too much of the plot for anyone because yeah. people still haven't seen it. It's probably. I imagine it because it did very well in theaters. It's probably going to be trailing off pretty 
fast post Thanksgiving. I would imagine that most people went, you know, prior to that. Um, and it'll probably be on uh, Vimeo or wherever. I don't know where it's going to go actually. Um, but I will say it's really fun. It wasn't like, I think that my expectations got too big because of some of the films people are comparing it to. Some of the death scenes do remind me of some of those movies. And there are a couple that are laugh out loud, like, brilliant gags a couple that were, were really like uh, big guffaws uh and i like the setting i think my problem is i really didn't care for the characters and i uh it when it ends i i wanted 20 more minutes of real chaos after that moment because i felt like it had built to something where it's like but my guess is it was left purposely to create a, a sequel in the vacuum now that said i'm a minority and i'm actually happy about being a minority this time in the sense of like i love that people love this it actually makes me happy that this is getting because i want slashers and i want sequels to slashers because that's often where the more fun stuff can happen i, I as i was watching this movie i was like i have a feeling that if this gets a sequel it will be even more fun because you can get rid of all the setup and just jump into the carver and kind of go hog wild uh there's some really really cool stuff in this but it, yeah it wasn't wasn't like necessarily uh, for me, top 10 material of the year, but we'll see next week when we are two weeks from now, when we do our top 10s. Yeah. We've got our top 10 coming up in just two weeks, yeah. which is really exciting. Um, so a lot of what I have been watching is kind of trying to jam stuff in that I know I might include on my top 10. Um, and I'm going to kick us off with, holy shit, this was just an absolute trip. I had a blast with Onyx, the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. So I had been hearing about this one. We got press kits from it, from Screambox. I was really excited to see it. And then life happened and it took me like three weeks to actually get to the point where I could watch it. So this is Andrew Bowser, who he wrote, directed, kind of created this entire thing from the ground up. And he stars in it as Onyx the Fortuitous. And holy shit, it is so cleverly written. I love the dialogue, but his acting, the character that he creates in Onyx is just outstanding. It's also got, it's also got Olivia Taylor Dudley, who I know from The Magicians, and Barbara Crampton, um, who is obviously just awesome. And so it's a huge film. Like, this film feels massive. Um, I know that they, they, I think they shot it in Massachusetts. It was someplace in the, the kind of Northeast eastern region but yeah it's wild what they're able to do with what they have the setup is it is this guy who's kind of schlubby and he lives with his parents still barbara crampton's his mom and his stepdad and he works at a burger joint and he really doesn't seem to have much going on in his life he's definitely older doesn't seem to have a lot of friends but what he does have is he is obsessed with this kind of satanic icon i'll call him this kind of a cultist who has kind of made a name for himself writing books and doing posts on the internet and a blog and everything named Bartok the Great. And because of this, Onyx is what he calls himself. He has a different name, but he he changes his name to Onyx the Fortuitous, um, decides that he is going to be an occultist himself. And so he enters a contest on Bartok's website for who can be the best occultist. And he is, Bartok is going to select a couple of the people who enter to come actually spend time at his massive mansion and do this like once in a lifetime ritual that they're all going to do together. And somehow this guy wins and along with like five other people. So he shows up at this mansion and it's like a constant joke that this mansion looks like the place where Meatloaf shot. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Like that type of like, gothic massive mansion and it becomes a running gag in the movie 
but they uh the five of them show up there and they're all vastly different and from vastly different walks of life and they soon discover that they are not there for the reasons that they thought but they're there for a much kind of larger reasons this goes full creature feature like there is wild practical effects happening in this it is hilarious i think i i did see some pretty scathing reviews on this which is wild the reviews on this i have seen people who love it like me who were like holy shit this was amazingly creative and I've seen people that were like, oh my God, this dialogue killed me. And it's very punchy dialogue. Um, the main character of Onyx, he talks very fast. He is quips constantly. And I know that that was kind of taxing on some people who reviewed it, but I thought it was hilarious. It's straight up horror comedy. This does not, don't go in this expecting it to be like scare a minute. It's not that type of movie. It feels very much like an 80s throwback horror comedy where it's a horror premise. It's got really great monsters in it, but it is very dark in the humor as well. I thought this was fantastic. It is currently on Screenbox. So if you have not subscribed to Screenbox yet, here's your reason to. And I think they are offering like a week free right now. So hmm. yeah, Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. This was a trip. Is Jeffrey Combs in that one? I thought he was. Jeffrey Combs plays Bartok. Oh, okay, okay, that's so, which is. In true Jeffrey Combs fashion, I had been watching the movie with Bartok in it, like the Bartok parts for about 15 minutes before I went, fuck, that's Jeffrey Combs. Because he's like bald with like wizard eyebrows and, you know, robes and everything. And then I realized that that was him. So, yes, Jeffrey Combs is in it. He's the best. Um, I feel like I haven't seen him in much horror lately, though. So that's cool. Um, yeah, this was this was great, and it was a fun role for him. Well, one we both saw on Shutter, uh, rounding out kind of new films of the year, The Puppet Man. Yes, directed by Brandon Christensen, which I did want to bring up because it is kind of interesting. He is part of that crew who made uh, Influencer. He didn't direct Influencer; the person we had on the show did. But he's part of that group of people. In Canada, I believe there's like three different directors. They're all making a ton of movies. He did the the one about the girl staying in the Airbnb. That, you liked that wasn't bad. Yeah, you I liked actually that liked that one. Um, yeah, it was small. It was it felt like micro budget, but yeah, it had some. It good was a stuff big sh- it. like big on shutter, as in like everyone's watching it there. Um, anyway, yeah. he's part of that group. But the reason I thought it was interesting that I watched this right after because our last conversation with Tyler mcintyre he was talking about how there's this one guy who's a one-man band when it comes to visual effects that everyone in this group goes to and it is this guy brandon christensen so it was just interesting hearing that on one of our episodes and then realizing this is his film so he directed this um and it's kind of starts with an it kind of had a cool opening and quite felt quite big it felt like it was going to be like a blumhouse movie or something where where people are basically being kind of puppeteered to their demise essentially yep. and then you find out that there is a um pr- there's a man on death row for, from the after the opening scene killing his wife but he says he's i'm not in control i'm not the one doing this uh but now he's on death row and then 20 years later we meet his or 15 years later whatever we meet his uh daughter growing up and we've seen her in the past but only kind of hiding uh and it it has a has one sequence towards the end that is just so good like there's a cross cut between something happening in a library and something happening elsewhere that is really gory and really messed up. But there's other parts where I was quite confused by the choice of where the direction of the story, I guess, went. Yeah, I thought the kills were my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of really tight, um, fun, unexpected kills in this because it is 
that either the whole concept is that something is controlling these people that they can't control themselves. So they are either killing themselves or attacking other people, but they can't control it. So you'll see them like stabbing somebody saying, I can't stop doing this. I don't know what's happening. I'm out of control. And because of that, some of the kills were um, like the roof one was kind of shocking for me. That was one that I was gaping my mouth open at. And I loved the library one. That was, that was cool. great. And we're trying not to tell you guys because we yeah. don't want to ruin what happens in the library, but it's a very, it's, it's just, it was like, oh, that can often look really shitty the way uh, people can sometimes pull off uh, moves like that. And in this particular case, it was really effective and uh, worked. But yeah, I, it, it moves towards more of a demon kind of worship story, which I thought was interesting. But there's something and I'm I not going to go where it goes. I liked, but... Yeah, I won't say where it goes. I liked the cult bend. That made yeah. it even more interesting for me that yeah. it kind of went a little culty towards the end. Yeah, so this one, I there were parts of it where it was definitely a little slower, but I actually really enjoyed this one. I thought that it was a really interesting mythos, and I thought that they did a lot with what was clearly like five people at a college. Like it was, it was limited locations, but it felt like they did a lot with it. And I'm always in for kind of like high concept, low production. Yeah. And this felt like they did a lot. And again, the kills really kicked ass. Yeah, no, it's worth watching for that. And this one's on Shutter, So check it out as you round out your year of viewing. Yes. Um. Okay, where to go? Okay, you're caught up on, did you finish Fall of House of Usher? Yeah, I've, I just wrote one line because I'm pretty sure it's going to come up in our final episode. It's It's just completely amazing. And one of the that's all you wrote. Well, it's just I think it's one of the best. No, not one of the. I think it is the best adaptation of Poe because it Poe is inaccessible and dated and old when Mm -hmm. when done. Even like as much as I love some of the Corman movies, like Master Red Death is visually I love it, but I still don't get into the stories of them. You know, some of the language is beautiful, and I just think him taking the essence of some of these stories and giving it its own little little turn and twists as it went it was so great and how each episode is really about the death of one of your children uh bruce greenwood best one of the best things he's ever done you know so good best, in this uh carla gugino brilliant like every, it's just i don't know i was really impressed i've been impressed by all his big shows for the most part um but this my right up there was how ingrained it was in contemporary culture because it did it felt it was dealing with the opioid epidemic and these like you know uber rich people who own these corporations and their families and you know kind of the control of the family and the politics behind it and it felt so now but at the same time it was using all of these post stories and so yeah i thought this show was absolutely amazing just making sure you caught up we can definitely kind of circle back to that last i have a feeling it will come up on our our final countdown with that another tv show that i know we've both been watching where are you at in murder at the end of the world now um maybe three episodes in i think i'm four i didn't realize there was i probably just missed if, if one was released in the last day or two i haven't seen it I think I just did the fourth episode last night. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm 90% sure I did the fourth episode. Um, So I have been absolutely addicted to this to the point that I am now waiting for more mm, episodes nice. and I'm really looking forward to and it. And you never watched All the right. OE, right? Mm-mm. I never, I watched yeah. maybe the first episode, but it makes me curious if I should go check it out. I don't know. Yeah, because I had students that were obsessed with the OE and I had watched like you, I think I watched the first two episodes and it didn't hit as much. And I remember that being at a time when I had a lot of stuff to watch. So I just did not continue with it. 
But this, I watched the first episode and was honestly questioning if I was going to keep going. And then the next night I was like, oh, I have to. So Elric talked about this briefly last week, but I'll just, for those of you who missed it, it is about a um, a young girl who her her whole thing is crime novels, like true crime. Like she's deep into the true crime space. And she just wrote this novel called Silver Doe about a specific true crime story that happened in her hometown. And she is an, and she was in love with this guy and it named Bill and it's about their story together and how they finally got justice for the killer. Uh, after she publishes the novel, she is invited to this retreat I, is the only way I can call it that is being thrown by one of the most high-powered business tech guys in this world where it's set. And she is just completely elated. She has no idea why she's being invited. And it's in Iceland. It's basically like Eli Musk, if he wasn't like, you know, all Eli Musky. Um, it's it's very much like this charming guy. Like it feels like this very much this big charming guy who's very good and does all these amazing things. And she's been invited along with all of these other tech and industry leaders to go hang out at a hotel in Iceland (laughs) for a stretch. And they're all talking about what they're working on. And um, the goal is that they are going to solve world problems, that they're all going to get in the room together and brilliance is going to happen. And they get there and they're really isolated away from everything and they can't get out and people start dying. And it is moody and smart and brooding and has an angst to it that I love and ingrained in both true crime and technology all at the same time. Yeah. And you don't know exactly where it's going. Like it's it's good at yeah. misleading or at least making the motives very questionable with who the people mm-hmm. are, which I think is going to have Clive Owen and Britt Marling and I, I realized the the woman, one of the women on the plane, I didn't kind of catch it at the start. I should have because I'm a Twin Peaks junkie, but was Joan Chen from the original Twin Peaks show. And I didn't, yep. I didn't, my brain didn't like put it together instantly. I was like, oh, that's a great casting um, because she kind of feels like she belongs in that world. But um, yeah, I'm very yeah. curious where it goes. Yeah. So I have been really enjoying this one. Not horror as in the sense of like a slasher or monsters are going to jump out, but very much a very tightly woven, very dark murder mystery. Yeah, it's almost so that is yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, it's almost true crime mixed with sci-fi, <laughs> like yeah, but like realistic on the edge sci-fi that we're close to kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, cool. it's got an unfriended vibe as well because so much of it is technology based. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of kind of tech-based stuff that's happening that's kind of unraveling the story. But that is murder at the end of the world. It is currently on Hulu. Yeah, that's where Hulu. Maybe it's an FX show because they get all the FX shows. So if people don't. Oh, know is it Hulu? Sometimes you yeah. can. You know, that's how you can see them. But um, I this is why I don't watch TV because it as much as I used to as a kid and whatnot because it takes me away from movies. But I there was a show that I missed a couple years ago. You know, true crime junkie when I was much younger. Uh, and studied criminology and stuff like that, and then kind of stood, stepped away from it. But what I've always been obsessed by is the Black Dahlia story. I just, I, because it's so mysterious and there's so many directions. Telling me about that and like all the different theories. Oh, there's it. a like, book. All I, of my Black Dahlia knowledge came from There's you. a great book called Severed, which now has a, some of most of the theories are a little outdated, but it's such a well-written book by this LA crime writer guy who has since passed called John Gilmore. He writes really good books um, about Los Angeles, but it just got, it lit my brain up because you, you could just imagine who all these men were. You could see all who all these suspects were. And it's just, just, a, it's just a fascinating um, LA story to me. But anyway, 
I, I had heard that there was a TV show and I, and I'm also not quite as into Chris Pine as Black Dahlia, but I really like Chris Pine. I think he's the best Chris. Uh, and I, I had heard the best, Chris. the best of the famous Chris's. That's a, that's the thing people say. Um, but I agree. Uh, anyway, I'd heard he was in some show that touched on it somehow, but I didn't know anything about it. Turns out it's a show. Uh, Patty Jenkins is one of the directors, which makes sense because monster uh, Carl Franklin, who's just to me one of the great black directors of the last like, you know, 30 years, really great director. Uh, and there's a show called I am the night. And it is about, I've heard about this yeah. show and I missed it. it. It might also be on Hulu and it's six episodes. It's just, it was from TNT though, originally. And maybe that put me off because in my mind, TNT couldn't go maybe hard enough, but this is really perverted and weird. Um, it, so I was like, oh, okay. So I watched one episode at like, I don't know, it was like 9.30 the other night, and I watched all six in a row. I did not So move. it's only six episodes? Six hours, though. I watched all six, and I didn't even get up, and then I went to bed super late. It's probably why I, I'm so tired. Um, but this was, a, this was about a week ago. So it was during the break, though. Um, anyway, I, I really did kind of get hooked by it. Uh, it is based on the true story of a girl. Her name was Fauna. Hodel. She's played very well by uh, India Isley in this. And it starts with her where basically she was told her mother was, no, she was told her father was black and she's being raised in Arizona with a, by a black mother who she believes is her mother, but she has never met her father who she's been told is white, but she looks completely white like and she goes to a school that's still fairly segregated but she has to sit only with the black children and it's just it's just an interesting like quite hot buttony like vibe that you jump into straight away and she has blue eyes and it, and this is i wouldn't obviously go into this much detail if this wasn't such a key part of what this show was about but because it's really about her growing up and being lied to um, and her entire identity basically comes to a moment where she finds out that none of that was actually true. She was a baby given to her mother at a train station, like literally handed to this woman to raise because the mother was scared of what would happen to this baby if she was raised where she was meant to be. And this is she finds all this out in a box that where she finds out who her true grandfather is, doesn't know who her dad is, but finds out her grandfather was a man called Dr. George Hodel uh, from Los Angeles. And OK, that name I know yeah, that, from you. That name has has largely in the last like you know decade, like, partly because this book become the lead suspect in Black Dahlia. But he's a, even taking that off his resume. Fascinating, debaucherous cultist was a very famous gynecologist was uh often done for, and, and super rich and had one of the best art collections in america he has photo there's a photo of him online taken by man ray so this guy and and that's one of the interesting angles at least in the show i'm not sure how true some of it is um but anyway she finds out this guy's her granddad doesn't know anything about the dark around she's like i should go to la and try to meet this guy and he's in a big one of those beautiful old mansions you know uh and he has a you know wife who's kind of a sh- ex-wife who's a shut-in and just there's a lot of weird mystery around him so she decides to pack up her life to a lot of drama to go to la to try to find out more about herself and as she's doing that that's one of the two storylines the other storyline is chris pine is a uh ex-korean war guy who's really kind of fucked up and very ptsd ish and uh was a bit of a hero but now his life is just basically a hot hot mess the entire show and he is kind of a journalist and kind of just taking on whatever lowest denominator job he can pick but he's really good at playing this kind of rogue kind of funny character and we learn that his life kind of came undone years earlier when he went after george hodell the doctor for running illegal abortion clinics um, and that he was kind of protected by all the cops and political people who were obviously using his services. And so he lost that case because 
Hodel was pretty, and basically has had no career since he's kind of been blacklisted. So he has a reason to want to kind of mount something new. And suddenly he gets this call saying, there's more to this Hodel story. Don't give it up. And as he digs, he starts to realize within the show, he's like, Elsa, the Black Dahlia was never solved and all these other murders. Could they be part of this guy's thing? And so that's that's one storyline. The teen, the teen granddaughter storyline coming to LA and they, a whole bunch of stuff happens, but they start to get entwined and their goal becomes about this guy. And there, it, it builds to a pretty satisfying last couple episodes, uh, as well as like um, riots that were happening in South Central at the time. It's pretty big. That's the crazy thing. Like there's certain episodes where you're like, oh, wow, the scale of this was, you know, a very big show. But uh, now don't go to it for the definitive, you know, Black Dahlia story. That's like one thread of it. Um, but I was I was in, you know, I wouldn't have watched it for six hours, but wasn't. But um, but they, they, there's definitely a couple of really tense, creepy moments as it goes. Uh, so that part of that itch was scratched. Yeah, the book I was telling you about, I think, because I looked it up straight away, I was like, that would make because it's all told from Elizabeth Short's um, point of view. The book severed, and I think mm-hmm. when I first moved to LA, I looked it up. And then I learned that maybe Lynch had had it at some point. And he had also been mm. looking at Blonde at one point, the book that became the movie Blonde. And we're talking a long time ago. Those two things together turned into the original Twin Peaks. And Laura Palma became his version of that. So instead of doing a real person, he took those and made his Laura, which I always thought was, you know, that's probably a better way to go. That feels right. Yeah. And you're not going to get taken to task with the things you get wrong historically. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but anyway, I thought I'm the night's really cool. Check out the first one. See if it grabs you. The first one's the least true crimey because it's more sociological in terms of her, you know, situation and stuff. And then it, but it gets darker as it goes. Okay. Well, I've been watching um, true crime on Netflix, but I didn't write any of them down. I did watch the documentary on the Twin Flames cult. Oh, talk about it because I've got two docs. I've got two docs. Let's do docs. So I've got some other horror stuff to get into. But um, yeah, so this is uh, what's weird is I always view like Thanksgiving into Christmas when I say I get to watch other things Mm -hmm. besides horror film. I watch true crime like that's the other place that I head I don't do a lot of true crime during the regular year because I'm always so I need to get these five things viewed by the end of week um but yeah this is my time to dig into all of the true crime that I've missed I've watched a ton of true crime docs this week but the one that definitely stuck with me the most was the um twin flame documentary on Netflix it's a three-part one and it is about a cults i call that uh, yeah we're gonna call it a cult um that is still going on now like it did not break down with the documentary apparently you can still join um that basically says that there is one person in the world who is made for you and it is your twin flame and that it's run by this man who says that he can foresee who it is and help you find this person and it got freaky to the Mm. point of like there was one girl where she ha- he had decreed this girl's twin flame was this one person and he she has to go after him and the person got restraining orders against her and she like the the guy was still like you have to keep going you have to pursue him get him at any cost and then he's got like stalking charges on her and he, she ends up getting arrested it was hmm. wild. So this was, um, again, I love cult movies. I love cult documentaries as well. And I honestly feel like it is because there is a part of me that I feel like could so slip easily slip into that. If it was the right cult and the right messaging, and I was at a point where I'm like, I just really need to pick me up, that I could totally do that. Because I love reading self-help books a lot. So I feel like there is a part of me that like, if somebody said the right things that I could be like, oh, totally. Yes, let's do that. I get so enthusiastic so easily. 
easily. I I, so, I couldn't, but I think I could have been like a cult leader in the sixties, like back then. You, if I existed then, personality wise, I, I could have probably gotten into things and liked the power of that. Whereas I nowadays I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. But you know, you're wired a certain way. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I could imagine that. <laughs> you're gonna be a cult leader. Oh my gosh, Elric. The cult I won't leader. be now. Oh. I'm a podcaster. I don't need to cult. That's it. That's uh, you it. Know, you we, don't need a call. I just, now, I just but... need to influence people enough to buy a DVD once in a while, and I'm good. Um, that's all I need. I just proselytize about why everybody needs to watch Slugs, and yeah. we're good. I've done my, I've done the God, the Lord's work for the day. But yeah, this one was absolutely fascinating. Some of the documentaries, the true crime docs. There was another one that I started this week, and I can't even remember what. It was set in Virginia, mm. and that's why I started. Is I was like, okay, it's set in Virginia. They tell you in the first 10 minutes who the murderer was. And then it's just about how they did it for the next three episodes. And I, and I mean, I realize we're talking about real life murders here and there's a certain insensitivity that comes with it, but there's also storytelling that I require. So if I know who the murderer is in the first 10 minutes, I can't keep going with it. Mm. It's a whole thing. Okay. But tell me, which ones have you been watching? Because I need more. One that you will like for sure, and I guess it was a pretty big one because it was at maybe Fantastic Fest. A lot of people we know had reviewed it prior to me. It was a new release on Amazon called Satan Wants You. And it I saw is... this. I almost watched this. Yeah, it's by two directors, Steve Adams and Sean Harler. And it tells the story is... of the yeah, satanic, satanic panic, panic in the 80s. Okay. But from the, it's not trying to do the whole story. It's telling it about... Uh, the book that largely ignited that panic, which was Michelle Remembers from 1980, uh, which was a memoir that a psychiatrist uh, wrote with his patient and and really was basically this girl talking about how her mother, you know, basically gave her up to this uh, group of Satanists to do all these awful things. And she was part of this, has this like few year gap in her memory. And it goes into like really in depth with some of the tapes that he recorded with her to write the book, you know, where he's clearly like doing some of the leading that would become much more common, you know, later in the satanic panic. Um, and it seems like he didn't seem like an evil guy, you know, obviously the act itself could end up being evil for all the things that kind of stoked, but it didn't seem like either of them. Well, maybe she was doing it to get him away from his wife. Maybe like, yeah. Didn't they end up, like. they end up, up together and it's okay. very, so it's mostly just about them and this book and the destructive nature. Of, so it's more like a tee up of the satanic panic than a satanic panic documentary uh which is smart move on their part not to try to bite off too much so i think on that level people should check it out i didn't know about michelle remember so oh really not really it's not not a book that i read or came across my parents owned it and my parents i mean my mom was not hardcore satanic panic dave's was like that like she still has like tapes from like and i mean obviously all fake but stuff that says like smurfs are you know reincarnated dead people and will lead your child on a path of satan my mom definitely went through a phase yeah it's totally smurfs it's gargamel all the way um no and those all those weird ones there was definitely a group i remember that was like coming for saturday morning cartoons that were like they're all feeding your children satanic messaging and things like that um i do remember my mom hearing that judas priest was Mm -hmm. satanic and wanting to listen to my judas priest record and a couple of others and i remember her definitely my parents would never stop me from doing anything but i remember getting questions about ozzy osbourne and dio and i remember having it be like are they satanic and me being kind of well, yeah that's like the fun of listening to dio like that's what dio is and you know that's why you listen to 
you know, all it. So it was always kind of a weird thing, but I remember her going through and then not really doing anything mm. about it. But I also remember at school, this is an elementary school, them bringing in a specialist to talk to us. I was probably in second or third grade about in case we saw any satanic symbols painted around the town to report them. It was very much like, like dare drug education, but it was like, if you, you know, be looking out for this stuff that could be, you know, satanic, have Satanists tried to recruit you after school? It was very much like, you know, people offering you drugs, but they were trying to get you to, you know, join Satan. And I remember having that school assembly really vividly. Yeah, I, I remember the murder of the young, I think his name was Basher. It was a British case. So it was big, maybe a bigger mm -hmm. deal in New Zealand than maybe America because we always got the British news. But, you know, with two kids and it was blamed on things like, you know, satanic panic or Chucky, or like anything people can throw at these things mm -hmm. at the time. And I remember that was probably my first example. And then I remember watching the documentary about Ozzy Osbourne's uh, record being played backwards and the guy who, you know, try to shoot himself in the head all that stuff that that but i think maybe i probably got less of it in all country than what was happening in america at the time i think yeah there was um there was another book that i remember my mom and these were all just like salacious novels that again she read and then never really yeah. you know they didn't really trickle down into any of our family beliefs but i remember her reading one called say you love satan um that was about teens who listened to heavy metal and then decided to love satan i guess yeah. um but that was another like really salacious one that followed michelle remembers which was again supposed to be like a memoir about actual teens being you know converted to satanism and all the horrible stuff that they did yeah it was wild times yeah, we got I, I posted up a couple of years ago, but the best thing to come out of the satanic panic is a picture of Tipper Gore holding up. Um, oh, gosh, it's an album. Uh, fuck like a beat. Uh, fuck like a fuck like a beast um, and by Wasp. And she's just holding up the album and smiling. And that shot, that picture is the best thing to come That's out of the satanic fun. panic. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, I think you would dig this one. I think you should watch this one. I think it's uh, up your alley. And it's got the, one of the interesting things is because a lot of the themes that end up in her book were things that the doctor, the psychiatrist had dealt with. Like when he was like 20, he went to Haiti and he witnessed all the stuff and filmed all this footage. And even that footage comes in. So you're like, yeah, this guy's like taking the wow. stuff he saw somewhere else and now putting it in her memories and making it a much more salacious read, you know? Um, but anyway, worth a check out. Okay. So that is Satan wants you, mm -hmm. which I saw pop up on Amazon. Yeah, I have one more doc. Go to you. Yeah, what you got? Go ahead, because I got some graphic novels okay. after the, this. Yeah, the last doc, this is one I had seen Ant Timpson promoting a few months ago, and it was on the festival circuit. It was another documentary from New Zealand I think Ant's the exec producer on. Uh, did you ever see Tickled? That crazy? Yes. Oh, my okay. God. I had to turn that it's off. Pretty pain. It's I have to admit, painful. I couldn't I couldn't finish yeah. that. I like that movie, um, but it's it very wasn't painful. because it wasn't good. Yeah. It was painful. Yeah, it's awkward it painful and painful. And, and, and that guy ended up, his name's David Ferry, the He's a journalist who makes documentaries uh, from New Zealand. He ma made that, and then he got a Netflix or HBO. One of those gave him a show called Dark Tourist, where he was going around. Oh, the world I've seen someone. that. Yeah, he did. I didn't realize that was him. Same guy. And so this is a movie he came up with around the same time as some of those earlier ones, but it took a long time, and it's very personal. It's 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 one of those movies you start and you just feel like you probably like Tickled. But it's also like really depressing and disturbing. It really got under my skin, actually. It's also in Auckland, which is kind of the biggest city in New Zealand. He he basically starts doing the story about a about a um, 
in this fancy kind of shishi part of Oakland called Ponsonby. There is an antique store and it has its own parking space out front. And when you have your own parking space, like you own it, if somebody parks there, you can do it or any, whatever you want to them. So this guy who works for this thing clamps the cars and puts a clamp on the, on the wheel. If you park there even for five minutes and then says, yeah, you have to give me $800 if you want your car back. And it's all within the law. Which is crazy. Wait, how is it's not like America where you just have it towed? Yeah, and so, you can't you can't like go out and go at it with a hatchet. Yeah, or I anything. don't get it either. Even watching this, I was like, that's a very weird law that there's nothing regulating a private parking spot. But that's what it's about. Like, turns out the guy's done it like you know a few hundred times. So you can imagine how much income that's generating. And then this journalist writes a story about like, hey, this is kind of crazy. Why is this woman who owns the store letting her little you know henchman? Uh, do this to all these cars that should be a law that gets changed and then this guy he's writing it about starts to taking interest in him he digs deeper into the clamper guy who just seems like some guy who like almost like a mechanic or something who works for this place digs into him and it turns out he has other legal problems from the past and stories called himself an heir of a prince bloodline uh, like just wild criminal stories all, all always taking people to court and so basically he this journalist pokes the bear by showing an interest in him and basically the guy becomes obsessed with this journalist and the journalist is trying to make a documentary out of it, but it's the most frustrating subject you've ever met in your life because he's probably psychotic. He has a very high IQ. You can just tell uh, like a serial killer type, but, but the high, high IQ probably isn't a murderer, but has driven a lot of past roommates and flatmates and stuff like that, like to the brink of suicide and sanity. I mean, and so anyone who talks about him, they're like, he's the worst person on earth. Like he, if, if you spend time with him, you will lose your mind. And he keeps, cause he keeps talking and talking in circles. He's really litigious. And he, and so the, but so what you start to witness because you're waiting for that big moment, like, and you know, the d- director's waiting for that big moment, but it never really comes. Instead, it's all circles and circles to the point where halfway through this thing, and it's over a few years, the director's like, I wish I'd never started this. I am kind of losing my mind. My Like, it's really, it's just one of those movies that gets under your skin, the, the character be- that he's investigating, because there's no, he can't find the reason. He's looking, why is this guy like this? And he can't, he can't really crack it. And I found it very hypnotic in that way it's not going to be for everyone it's going to be like um it's just going to be one of those films that might be make you feel icky or something i don't know but i found it what is the name of this it's called mr but spelt miss m-i-s-t-e-r organ o-r-g-a-n uh brand new i don't know if it's completely just off the festival thing here um but people should put on their radar if you're into dark things and for me it's always cool to watch things taking place back in New Zealand where I just you know had visited that area and just sometimes you hear people the way they talk and stuff and you go like oh why is this guy not in jail but um he is it, it's just fascinating these kinds of minds when you see them over time working it, it's just I don't think we get a lot of I mean Mindhunter is obviously a good show at like charting some of that dramatically but this is a real person mm-hmm. we're watching a real documentary in real time where something bad could have happened I mean let me just put it this way halfway through this film the let's say bad guy in quote marks comes up to him and goes now nah, I just want to give you this this is a key to your apartment that somebody gave me I can't tell you who it is but somebody gave me this and I I don't need it so I'm going to give it back to you I mean purely just to, and the guy's like wait how the fuck do you have a key like and 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 the, <laughs> oh and, and, and the director's like a hundred percent sure that no one gave it to him that this guy somehow broke in made a key and is just menacing him like kind of gaslighting him and re- it's 
kind of crazy that this is the kind of film that probably could have ended with this, the director being murdered and we would you know it'd be a very different <laughs> problem you know uh but it has that vibe because the guy is so just you know he's just kind of odd it's um but anyway i thought it was it, it got under my skin so i thought i'd mention well it's not completely tickled hard. tickled bothered me even though tickled wasn't hard either mm-hmm. i remember we covered that at fangoria mm-hmm. because it it freaked us out so much that like there was I wasn't the only one who was like I can't get through this y'all this is intense this was like it like bothered me on like a visceral level like gut yeah crawling level and it's not even doing anything it's not gross it's not scary it's just crawling yeah. inside the way that it's set up so okay I'll give Mr. Organ a try this one I like psychological warfare a little bit better it's definitely that here. it's definitely psychological warfare. okay um, so I will quickly do this one because I have watched this and discussed it on the show to no end, but um, our TV died over mm. the holiday, which really sucked because then at that point I am home by myself with two kids who have colds and both of them are like dying on the couch and then suddenly our television dies like a very hard death mm. and I couldn't get it to restart now I'm like what the fuck do I do now like I'm just dead and so I ended up going on a Black Friday sale on Amazon and ordering a television that like was going to be delivered the next day just so that we'd have something so we got a new TV which was nice um, so finally I have a 4k TV in the living room and got it on a good Black Friday deal and then it was like well, what is the very first thing that we should watch on the new television and i'm trying to get the kids more into horror and we've been starting like i showed them the thing we watched alien um we watched tremors again and i was like you know what y'all we're gonna watch deep rising it's the first thing Picking 1998 movie with questionable visual effects at the time. Like they, they, you know, (laughs) by today's standard, they're awful. Um, That is the very first thing I'm going to watch on my brand new 4K television. So fine. Pop in my fancy Blu-ray of Deep Rising. And let me just say, it's still so much fun. Even with the questionable CG effects. Treat Williams, Bamka, such a good combination. And the monster, even though that it is hilariously CG, it's just a great one. And this, um, the only scenes that were kind of like, you know, cringy for my eight-year-old, the one where the guy gets vomited back out and he's like half digested and then his like half a body is crawling. And I was so worried about that scene. I'm like, oh my God, is this like childhood trauma? And they absolutely loved it. And then the next day they were like, can we watch the digested body scene again? And I'm like, oh God, that that was trauma. Like I'm going to hear about this from a therapist later, but yeah, it was a trip. That was like Um, me and Deliverance. You're just watching the scene over and over. I was eight years old and squealing like a pig. I was like, wait, what is happening? This this cannot be good. Uh, No, we're not doing that yet um, or ever. No, no. Right now, I'm still like right now they're watching uh, Kong Skull Island, Mm. um, which isn't really scary in any capacity. That one's more fun. But yeah, so we've been definitely uh, looking at all of the fun little horror stuff. And my son is really into kind of um, Strummer's really into kind of complicated mysteries. Like he watched National Treasure and he shares my love of like wild treasure chase adventures. And I'm like, when does he get old enough that I can like go into like the Da Vinci Code and things like that? So um, he's definitely got. I want to go into Da Vinci Code. Do you? I I don't know how this held up. The first one wasn't terrible, but after that, I don't know. I didn't. 
Uh, I don't remember Angels and Demons yeah. being very good. I remember it just being a lot of statues pointing at things and them being like, I guess I should go over here. Um, da Vinci Code, I remember yeah. being awesome. It is hard so to visualize I'm... all those like literary clues that you would get in a book. You know, it's hard to visualize yeah. some of that. But I, I do like those kind of stories as well. I, the National Treasures I only watched a couple years ago, finally, and they were so much better than I thought they were going to be. They're so yeah, they're fun. fun. I mean, Nick Cage yeah. is fun in them, but I did not watch the Disney TV show that they did and i feel like i need to catch up with that i heard it wasn't great and then i was so pissed off and i was just like well i'm not gonna watch it at all um but i feel like i need to just because i always loved that that entire franchise so much but okay so that was my quick plug Mm -hmm. for hey y'all deep rising because i definitely haven't talked about that enough in my 10 year podcasting career but if you didn't know it i really like deep rising y'all should watch that movie 1998 stephen summers okay so what i did do while i was super sick was i also read a lot so i've got some horror novels that i'll be talking about um hopefully by next episode when i finish them i'm deep into two of them but i also read some graphic novels so um Actually, the day before Thanksgiving, not even realizing that I was going to be kind of held up for the entire time, I had gone up to our really awesome comic book store here in Burbank and picked up a couple of titles. And so first, I will talk about Chew. Um, Chew, this is honestly one of my favorite graphic novels that I have read in years. Like, this is so Good. This is John Lehman and Rob Guillory. And um, oh, it's a New York Times bestseller. You don't see that on a lot of uh, these collections. But the whole setup of this, uh, it is about a detective named Tony Chu, but he is what they call a SIBOpath. He is SIBOpathic, meaning that whatever he eats, he can get psychic visions from. So if he eats, um, you know, a, a potato chip, he can see the factory that it is made in, the guy who sliced the potatoes. If he eats a dead body, he can get the whole history of the dead body. And so he doesn't like to do that, (laughs) but it definitely leads him to eat some interesting stuff. And even the world that it exists in is interesting in itself because it exists in a world where chicken has become illegal, (laughs) where this bird flu swept across the nation. It was very much like a pandemic. Everybody was locked down. There's vaccinations. And so chickens were made illegal. You can't buy chicken anywhere. So all of these black market chicken restaurants have popped up where you're eating chicken. Like that's become this like black market delicacy. And at the same time, there's part of the population who has become um, chicken flu deniers where they're like, the whole thing was just cooked up by the government to try to control the food supply. There never was any type of avian flu or anything like that. And so he's existing in this world where we've already got this political division, um, people are already angry at each other, and then he is investigating murders, specifically using his sebopathic power. Now, he can't just always eat the person and immediately see who killed them, but a lot of times he can see the moments before the death. And so it's, it's a really cool concept that I have never seen before and it does some really interesting things with it so i'm holding right here the the volume one taster's choice which is like the first collection of issues together and so each one is kind of a different crime but there's also through lines so there's there's larger criminals that he's trying to catch the entire time Hmm. and then there's a food critic that he falls madly in love with so yeah it's, it's just really fun it's yeah just a really tight kind of true crime murder mystery but in a really fun and funny way it's not dark it's not like a torso where it's really dark like it's fun so this is chew i loved this one and then the other one that i read this week 
The Deviant. This is brand new. This is brand new. First issue out. Um, actually, I think the second issue is being released today on the day that we are taping this. And this is um James Tinian IV, who we have read Nice House on the Lake by. I've read a bunch of stuff by this uh writer. Absolutely. Um, uh, oh gosh, I can only remember the spinoff, House of Slaughter. Oh, something's killing the children. Um, so yeah, this it just a really good writer has done a bunch of horror stuff that I've loved for the past couple of years. The Deviant is brand new, so there's only one issue out that I've read so far, but in the first issue, it is a Christmas horror story, and it starts in 1972 Milwaukee as this Santa Claus is killing people and specifically targeting young men, and we come to find out that it's got a lot of gay, uh, under not even undertones, it's part of the story, who they think is killing gay men um, or young men in general. And it's a Santa mask. It's like this really fucked up Santa mask. They, in 1972, arrest this one person for it who is kind of the well-known town gay man. And in 1972, he's arrested. They think he's already despicable and gross and a pervert. And so he is arrested and dubbed the deviant killer. And for the past 50 years that he has been in prison, he has always said, I never did this. This was not me. But he has grown really cynical and funny about it. And the specific episode, we open with the killing. But this particular issue is a writer now in present day has gone into prison and is interviewing the deviant killer, this man who's been in prison for 50 years on it, on his crimes. And this man is still darkly funny super sharp sardonic but still saying i didn't do this but whatever y'all didn't catch who did so that's on you and then the crimes start back up and so this is that's where the first episode left off i can't imagine episode it's an issue i can't imagine this not getting optioned to be something bigger it's really good so far immediately feels like a tv series that i want to watch Cool. So those were my two big graphic novel comic reads so far. That one looks good. That lo- it's something we're going to talk about in the second half is I feel like of the holidays, Christmas has now been too set. Like it used to be taboo to make Christmas horror right now. And now it's so heavily saturated. I feel like mm-hmm. every year I think there's multiple Christmas horror movies that for me, very few of them actually have teeth like the opening scene of um something like deadly night where you're not going to forget a scene like that because it's just so disturbing and uh so that actually sounds like maybe it's a kind of a different uh trajectory i'm curious about that one it's definitely a different take and i love the world and the society that it exists in and the art's really cool too it's real brutal so that is the deviant i gotta go pick up the second issue i'm writing myself a note right now because it's in my mailbox at the uh, comic book store so well we're gonna take a very quick break and then we have a uh a fun oh I do. No, um, I, I forgot before we take a oh. quick break. I had plugs. Um, So literally tomorrow, this goes up on Friday, tomorrow, Saturday, if you are in the Los Angeles area, you can head over to Los Angeles Comic-Con. I am on a filmmaker panel, the Fangoria Contemporary Horror Filmmaker panel from 12 to 1 at Los Angeles Comic-Con. I'm on there with um, Danny Filippo, who did Talk to Me, Bria Grant, who's been a show guest many times, Tyler McIntyre, who was just on last week, Rob Savage, who did Host and the Boogeyman. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to be on there just talking about kind of modern horror films and making movies. And then from 5 to 6... Jared and I are hosting a LA Comic-Con edition of Dead Right Horror Trivia there. So if you have not played Dead Right Horror Trivia yet, or if you're one of our regular players and looking to do a pickup game, 
when we do them at conventions, we do it like game shows. They're a lot of fun. It's far more kind of personalized and it's a lot of show and their categories and it's a little bit more jeopardy like it's fun so if you find yourself at la comic-con this weekend please come by on saturday where is la comic-con the big la convention center downtown okay. where you have to park and no you have to park it takes like forever downtown to LA. but once you're there it's awesome um okay good plug uh okay so yes when we come back we are gonna do something we haven't done before uh we are gonna program an alternate ho- we'll, it'll be a fairly breezy thing because they're largely going to be movies that probably come up before let's say maybe uh kind of an alternate horror holiday film fest and we'll explain more when we come back Okay, welcome back. So this is our first ever alt horror holiday film fest. Uh, obviously, uh, kind of drummed up by the fact that Thanksgiving was happening, and thank finally got its movie. Um, I also I took the idea of this from the movie that was called from years ago called Holidays. If you haven't seen that, it's worth watching. For a couple of the shorts are particularly good. Some mm-hmm. some less good, especially uh, Kevin Smith uh, dropping the ball on the most important uh, holiday. Yeah. Uh, but like Father's Day is one of the best shorts period. I still think it's one of the best shorts I've seen uh, in terms of atmosphere, and I really like the Valentine's Day one, but um, we decided to follow their format for the most part. I have one deviation that I'll surprise you with. Um, <laughs> and just basically, we're going to go holiday by holiday, and instead of giving the movie, some of them, like you know, Valentine's Day being our first one, obviously has Valentine, and we like Valentine, and I hope somebody makes a sequel to Valentine someday, 20 years later, because it deserves it, but we're finding alternate movies that could maybe replace that and become the thing you go to every year uh, or our own spin on it. We'll see how we go. Uh, but I think we can, you know, we can kind of play with this and be playful and give you guys a whole, not just Christmas movie to watch this year, but you could do all the holidays. Okay. So where do we jump in? We started with Valentine's Yeah, we'll do Day, this right? in order. So if you want, do if you, I'll lead, I'll tee up the holiday and we can both jump in as we go. So yes, we're doing Valentine's Day first. Uh, where did you want to take Valentine's Day? Okay, so I, I've talked about this movie before, but it's definitely been a stretch, but I know it's one of your faves. When I think romantic mm-hmm. horror, the very first thing that always comes to mind is Habit, Larry Fazenden, oh, 1995. 100%. Like, this is such a romantic movie for me. It's not. I mean, no, like, it it's, is. It's, it is. It, it's, it's, the characters are going through a romance. Like, yeah. That this this for me is um it exists in the serotonin that exists for like the first two months of any new relationship where everything is a high. And so this exists in that high. And I love this movie so much. It's vampires at the end of the day. It's Larry Fessenden falls in love with a girl who thinks she's a vampire um, in this very much New York City 90s art underground scene. But so good. Yeah. So I have like in my short list, it's like Possession, uh, uh, The Hunger, The Fly, which is one of the most romantic movies and Habit. They're my like short list ones. Uh, so I agree with you on habit. The one that I think, and I think it has been in recent years, I've seen it pop up on at this time of year, people will post pictures, but I think it's the perfect Valentine's movie and should be the one everyone watches is love means never having to say you're ugly. And that is the abominable Dr. Five. I agree. To me, oh, it's the that's ultimate. Brilliant. And, it, and one of the things I hadn't thought about, like, obviously, if you haven't seen this movie, you really should, because it's one of the most stylized, fun Vincent Price movies. Uh, he is a, uh, a scientist, a biblical scholar, an organist, all these things. 
who has apparently died in an accident that took also took his wife uh, from the, she was killed on the operating table uh, and he blames these people and he uses the nine diabolical curses uh, you know biblical uh, plagues of Egypt to get his revenge but that wouldn't be enough what I actually was really kind of thinking about Valentine's Day and the way it looks then think about the way this movie this movie kind of looks like a chocolate heart candy box you know that cheesy Valentine's? It kind of yeah. has that palette, and I don't think it's in- it intentional at all. But I think it makes it the perfect Valentine's Day movie. It does feel candy color. No, yeah. this Fibs vibes is surprisingly romantic yeah. across the board, and so is the second one. Right, the I, second I really one's fun like too. The but the, well. the concept of it is pure romance that, in terms mm-hmm. of his reason for revenge. So I think that would be, and and I'm thinking like if only one movie forever could be become that Valentine's, I think this movie deserves it. So, um, okay, so that's Valentine's Day. We're giving our little twist uh this next one uh, i'll be very curious about because you have some irish in you um we are going to saint patty's day uh, yeah which isn't as big in la chicago had a huge one i'm sure boston new york always had a huge one yeah new york we closed down the office every year like the fangoria office would literally close because the new york um saint patrick's day parade was so huge we wouldn't be able to get home if Mm. we tried so yeah we always it was nice we got the day off and then we got to go to a parade so everyone's go-to for horror film on St. Patrick's Day is always Leprechaun. Yeah. You know, we we all love Lep in the Hood. But I recalled, and I saw this at the top of the year this year, that I had seen another Leprechaun-based horror film mm. that, or I won't say Leprechaun, I'll say Little People, based horror film this year, 2023, that I was quite impressed by, that I don't think got nearly enough love. So I figure this is a great time to once again talk about unwelcome and this i I had watched back in january i think somebody sent me a screener for this and it ended up going i'm fairly sure to shutter at some point um but it was released by warner brothers in other parts of the world this is a big movie big irish movie it is about um a couple who live in deep inner city london and she is pregnant and she is attacked one night um, by a gang outside of her uh, flat. And so after that, both of them are like, you know what? We're dealing with the assault. They've got some PTSD from being held up. And they decide to move to this super rural town in Ireland. And they move into this house that needs a lot of work. So they hire this real questionable local family to do the work for them. The whole town is kind of weird, but they are given all of these rules by the town that they have to adhere. Like they have to leave food out for the little people, what they call the red caps, which are supposed to be these little people that live in the woods right beyond. They are never supposed to go into the woods. There's like a fence right at the edge of the property into these like super spooky woods. And they're told like, never go in there. You have to leave a plate of meat out every night. And the town, all of the people in the town are real obsessive. Like you're doing all these things, right? And she is just like, these are these weirdest, like stupid rituals that they're making me do. And she stops doing them. And then it gets really bad. Mm. And so this, it's, it is such kind of the basis of the leprechaun, the little people, all of that, but in a really contemporary portrayal of it and the idea of the myth being real. So yeah, this is unwelcome. I had a blast with this when I watched it back in like January or February of this year. Did not get nearly enough press. Actually, I can't think I saw it mentioned anywhere else but me watching it and then talking about it on the show. So it's worth a watch. Yeah, that's a good reminder because that's one I did miss at the time. Um, I'm with you. It is time to take a break from the Leprechaun as our emblem of Irish horror. We've done everything we can with him. 
Uh, March 17th is the date of St. Patrick's Day. And I didn't, I had to actually look this up why it even exists. We celebrate the death of St. Patrick on that day. That's the reason. So my feeling was what we need to replace Leprechaun is a monster that would piss on a priest. What could be more Irish? I almost picked this. This is, and I'm going to really push for it. I believe we should permanently make Rawhead Rex the true emblem of Irish horror. And I think Mm -hmm. somebody needs to do a remake so we can have Rawhead Rex in the hood, Rawhead Rex in space, Rawhead Rex anywhere. I want him to piss wherever he wants in the Irish countryside. Uh, You know, the first movie is very uh, messy and not necessarily a good movie. It's got some cool parts. The monster's really fun. I know Clive Barker wanted it even more phallic than it is. Yeah, Rex is, he's a little, um, he's got a receding hairline. I think they were trying to make him look like a penis because if you look at the original Rawhead Rex comics, like he looks like a penis. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's what Barker wanted. Barker wanted a but I think this is a great emblem for Ireland, uh, you know, because he pisses on a priest. Come on, what could be more exciting in Irish than that? Just is very cool. And I would love to see somebody run with it. I just also think it'd be really cute if people started making like Rawhead Rex, but with like nice little green uh, little green clovers out. and things. I think it's a marketing opportunity. So He's such a good little pagan symbol. Why not? Yeah, Let's March go for 17th, Rawhead, Rawhead Rex. Rex. Rawhead Rex. Um, I have an alt in between, but we'll, oh, sorry. I just realized that, um, and I probably did back when I talked about it the first time, Unwelcome is directed by the same guy as Grabbers, which is probably why I ah, love the tone so much. I thought you were going to pick Grabbers for that because mm-hmm. I know you love Grabbers. Uh, nope, both directed by John Wright. Okay, so, yeah. so our next one's going to be Easter, but then as I was doing this, I had to like highlight, it wasn't in our notes, so you can't have picked anything. I realized April Fool's Day fell between. Now, obviously, there's an April Fool's Day movie, but I wanted to remind people, they might not realize this, that Killer Party, which is a really fun movie, actually involves an April Fool's Day uh, masquerade party. So I think it could be adopted, but then I was also thinking Slaughter High has kind of the perfect (laughs) mascot in Marty with the jester. So it's not on April Fool's Day, but would kind of be the perfect April Fool's Day movie. So, you know, I rewatched both of the April Fool's Days a couple of weeks ago. I rewatched the original 80s one and the one done by the Butcher Brothers. I never saw the original the new 80s one. one the, uh, yeah. The original 80s one slaps. Oh, it's like, really it cool. Yeah. So good. You have it to buy into it. There's some because of where it goes, you have to be willing to go there. But if you are, it's a really fun movie. But anyway, yeah. so I thought there's a couple alts, but that wasn't on our master list because uh, it's not really a holiday. Uh, okay, which brings us to Easter. Okay, so I have a couple of options for Easter, yeah. and I legit didn't decide until this exact moment which one I'm going to do. But for me, um, there is only one Easter horror film that I would ever pick. And this is, of course, Critters to the Main Course. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, because this is one of the only horror films to be set at easter and it embraces it and it's actually a good movie as well this is directed by mick garris written by david toey oh wow so um yeah who came up on yeah with oh came up on deep yeah, cuts we yeah because we were talking about below on deep cuts wow um so it's actually a well-written movie but the whole thing is set on easter like the critters attack an Easter bunny. They attack a guy in an Easter bunny costume. Part of the whole thing about how their eggs get spread out around town is it's part of an Easter bunny hunt, um, an Easter egg hunt. And then the eggs get picked up by kids. And so the whole thing is set in the backdrop of this really small farming town on Easter. 
And so it's it's the only horror film that I can think of besides the one out of holidays that kind of has that Easter backdrop. And it is so fun to begin with and feels so right for it. I haven't seen that in forever, like since honestly, since the video days of where I loved all the Critters movies. But that has been a long time. Um, I have one for you for this that once I explain my rationale for the one I picked, yours is even more perfect than the one I'm picking. But. So with Easter, I'm thinking for me, I went with the resurrection angle. So resurrection films. Okay. Uh, back. And I went with a, a couple days prior, I went with Good Friday the 13th. And I'll get oh. to, because the ultimate resurrection movie to me. I like Good Friday, Good the, Friday 13th. the 13th. Uh, the ultimate resurrection movie is Friday the 13th, part six. Jason lives as one of the ultimate That's movies. Lightning. lightning brings him back. That's resurrection. Lightning. You get the super fun. But so, I, of course, here, me being me, and I was like, well, resurrection's an interesting angle for this. I start like looking the stuff up and realize that uh, this is when I start coming across notes. There's an intersection of the Christian Holy Day and the Day of Bad Luck is itself uh, two days share historical roots. A bunch of books are written about this, that bad luck surrounding Friday 13th is believed, uh, believed to come from Friday being the day of Jesus' crucifixion and 13 being the number of people who attended the Last Supper. And it's like the phenomena of Good Friday 13th is not uncommon. It has happened in 1990, 1900, 1906, 1979. But here's the exciting news, listeners. If you want to celebrate this with me, it will next occur in 2063. And we will be live podcasting that night together because we will always be podcasting. In 2063, we will be podcasting a live Good Friday the 13th episode. Wait, that's 40 years from now. Yeah, you are deal. really so I'm gonna we're gonna be um in our 80s. Yeah. Um fresh into our 80s. I'll we'll be say, in my mid 70s. 80s. Yes, continue. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Is that right? No, yeah, yeah we'll, that we'll is. Oh, wait, no, yeah, 80s. Yeah. Yes, um, deep, and deep but still podcasting they are going to wheel us out at the nursing home so that we can talk about friday the 13th part becca ridley scott is 85 making napoleon me and you can do a Fair podcast enough. at 90 Fair enough. come on we can we can we rock can a podcast. podcast uh anyway so i think good friday the 13th is a really fun angle saying people could celebrate as a thing anyway every easter we could bring this movie back but i have an even better one for you because if you're going to celebrate resurrection films on easter the ultimate easter becca movie from now on should be psychomania Oh, every Easter, because it's totally pagan as well. You could pagan resurrection, and their helmets could become the Easter egg decoration. You could do the design. Frogs, the frogs are there. Oh, the frog, there is something there. So anyway, so the other Easter movies that I kind of had in there, I had Valerie in a Week of Wonders, just because it was all about birth spring there's discovery, definitely a vibe there womanhood. Yeah. yeah there's a whole vibe i also wrote down um that's really tight made for tv movie that i had watched i think we covered it on deep cuts last spring secrets of harvest home um because that is all about kind of the pagan rituals of easter i still want to see that one so yeah. that was it was another good luck finding it i think i ended up having to boot like that one but it was really tight and that is another one that feels very much of easter and all of the easter um holidays i had so, when yeah. i was like 10 i had my birthday on easter like on, exactly on easter day and i think it's only happened once in my life so i always i grew up thinking oh my birthday must be easter but it changes it's a weird holiday it bounces around quite a wide like gap of dates for easter it's weird um, I always loved Easter when I was a kid because I got Cadbury eggs. Oh, yeah. Like that yes. was better than Christmas because there were Cadbury eggs. Yeah. So that's our Easter. Uh, we are going to run to Mother's Day. Okay, Mother's Day. I decided to get a little bit more deep cut. We haven't talked about this one okay. in a while. I went with 
Anguish from 1980. Actually, it's a good choice. I like that as a mom movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is a total mom movie. Um, This is a Spanish film from 1987, and it is a film within a film. So it is about two different stories happening simultaneously that eventually kind of start to intersect. It is about a movie theater in Los Angeles where a group of people have gathered to watch this movie called The Mommy, in which Zelda Rubenstein plays the mommy and she's basically like this psycho um her her son's an ophthalmologist if memory serves and she is this overbearing bub- mother who hypnotizes him and has this like psychic connection it's all eyes optometry right because eyes yeah, eyes, yeah. yeah she's obsessed with people's eyes she's there's a lot to do with birds and he's killing people and so as people are watching this horror story about this overbearing mom obsessed with eyeballs, who is also kind of psychically controlling her son, we're also watching the patrons in the theater as something starts to happen that gets really disorienting. One of the teen girls dies in the theater and we realize that there's a killer in the theater as well as we're watching enough of this movie on screen that we're becoming equally engaged in what's happening in The Mommy, a good movie its own right. So it's a film within a film. But I just love Zelda Rubenstein in this as the overbearing mother because she really does go like full like mama's, you know, mama knows what's best and mother's wishes and things like that. It's just, it's, this is a great film. This film does not get nearly enough love. And it's, so anytime I can discuss anguish, let's do and it. And it's a good, like maybe the ultimate movie to see in a movie theater because it's such a mind fuck of the movie going experience, which is great. Yep. Um, no, that's a great choice for this. I think it did flicker in my mind too, but there was one, I also had a deep cut that just no one talks about and it's so fun and it's a goofy movie and feels like Mother's Day. Uh, the tagline for this movie is call her mad, call her a monster. Just make sure you call her once a week. Mom. It's just called Mom. It's from 1990. It's a deep cut that I saw, I think, for the other uh, the other show I do. Uh, I think I did it on an all-nighter and I hadn't heard of it. It's a 1990 movie. And it is really, I've never seen it's this. really good. Like, I was so surprised. And it's r- right up your alley because it's pure horror, horror comedy. It opens with that guy, Brian James, who's in all those kind of mm-hmm. Sam Raimi movies. He's like, somehow, I, I can't remember how it happens at a truck stopper saying he is bit by a werewolf and then he comes to los angeles and he tries to rent a room from this old woman and she is just perfectly motherish like older grandma type woman she rents a room to her and eventually she also gets infected from him and so this the son who's always going to visit his mom starts noticing his mom acting weirder and weirder and by the end of this movie she turns into a full crazy werewolf like where the practical was so wild i was like whoa what the hell and she's out stalking people and stuff but she's still it's still set like a 80s comedy uh, every other part but um it's played the mom is played by Jean Jean Bates and she's like one of those actresses been around since the 30s and you look her up and she was the mom in Eraserhead she's the one that when when Henry goes to the house she's the weird one she's also in Mulholland Drive she's the one smiling with the big smile in the car with the older guy I mean she just has one of those like uncanny vibes about her but this is a a a really really fun movie that I haven't probably talked about um really here and you know Mm -hmm. it's I feel like this maybe would be how it would get noticed it's it's Mother's Day watch a movie called Mom and it's super cute and actually quite fun. So that is uh, Mom from 1990. I think there's a release now. I think when I talked about it first, it was like something that wasn't out. And I think now maybe there is a release. Okay. Father's so that Day. Was Mother's Day. Let's head into Father's Day. This is the one where I went most traditional. But this admittedly um, film will always make me cry yeah. and always make me think of like 
dad connection. Uh-huh. And that's trained to Basan. Like oh, this is Basan. this is my most kind of standard commercial one uh-huh. on this. But at the same time, it's still international. So if you have not seen Train to Basan, you need to get on that shit. This is South Korean from 2016 about a dad and a young girl stuck on a train when zombies attack. Um, the other one, oh gosh, one just came to mind. What was the one about the dad and the girl who were connected through um heavy metal music? And there was a, a demon in the house. That was another really good by, uh, by the director who made the loved ones. Devil's candy. Devil's candy. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. That's another really good Father's Day one. Yeah. Ethan Embry is the dad. Oh. He's really good. Yeah. At that. Oh, Ethan Embry is so good. good in that. In that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, my obvious one, like to me, if you say the the word father and father, I always think of Hellraiser and come to daddy is the is the <laughs> is the phrase that I think of every single time. But um, yeah, I I went my brain went straight to stepfather and Terry O'Quinn, and then I and then I pivoted because he's a stepfather. I don't want to celebrate stepfathers on on Father's Day when I could uh, celebrate an even weirder thing, and also Terry O'Quinn, and and get across one of my favorite movies, and that is Pin, a plastic nightmare. I almost picked Pin. It's a perfect oh Father's gosh. Day movie because it is because it's about a dad who's like teaching his children through this plastic dummy because he's a, like a weirdo uh controlling weirdo also played by terry quinn and then he gets killed in an accident and his two kids keep growing up and the guy they're left with they're pin. left with pin and pin keeps giving advice so pin becomes substitute dad substitute brother lover he's like becomes all the roles but i think it makes for a fun fa- the idea that fathers they should be celebrated with people sending like pin cards to each other i think works actually pretty well uh and this movie's really one of my favorite like under you know we've been talking about it for a decade now but it's still under the radar still no real good physical release which is wild that this isn't like a perfect blu-ray out in the world um but it's it's a really upsetting and kind of fucked up uncomfortable canadian i i owned this on laserdisc in college i do not even know how i got a copy of that but i had this on laserdisc and loved it that much well i'm for the breaking bad fans and what's the show after breaking bad um the spinoff oh uh, the spinoff, um, Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. Uh, the guy who plays Mike in both of those shows, Jonathan Banks, he is the voice of Penn. So mm-hmm. that should that alone should get this thing released now uh, in the wake of that. So anyway, Penn is Father's <laughs> Day. Uh, okay, Halloween. Halloween. Okay, so I didn't want to go with like a traditional Halloween movie. We have tons of them, obviously. I wanted to go with something that was a little bit deeper cut. So I decided to go with, uh, admittedly, my favorite slasher, like Ooh. one of my all-time favorite slashers. And this is Popcorn from 1991. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love this one so much. It is about a girl whose um, mother has been killed or her mother, sorry, her mother um, has been in some way, her mother went through this kind of like trauma when she was younger. I don't like, even left remember. left a cult or something, yes. Yeah. Like there was something, she was being chased by some, like a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even remember the setup of it. But anyway, the young girl now, she's a film student and she is, um, once she's at this college and she wants to hold a benefit to try to fund her film program. Wait, a, re- a reggae we- benefit? A reggae benefit because they shot the film in Jamaica. <laughs> so everything in it becomes so reggae, weird. although it's not supposed to be Jamaica. No. It's very much supposed to be like middle of, yeah. you know, USA. But this girl um, decides to hold a benefit. And in order to benefit the film program, she decides to hold a viewing of all of these old horror films. They're going to have a marathon of all of these old horror films. And she starts having nightmares about this particular slasher killer who is in this movie called The Possessor. 
And it, she starts dreaming about it. She starts feeling it. And then all of a sudden people around her start dying as she's prepping for this. So it's a lot of this is like a love letter to horror films because it's all about kind of setting up, like they're showing Mosquito, this 3D film, and they're doing like electric buzzers and odorama. And they're playing with all of these different films. Um, and they've got all these gimmicks. It feels very kind of William castle But then they're leading up to this super scary barely shown um cult film called possessor that they are you know it, it seems to be coming to life and so the movie is just it's fun it is a fun film and i love the the slasher angle of it too and great practical fix and i, I agree with you i think it's one of my favorite slasher villains like he mm-hmm. the performance is so good and it's it's just a it's a really underrated fun movie perfect halloween pick actually like I, that one didn't even come into my brain this time um yeah i don't even think i don't even know if it's set on halloween i think they're just hosting but everyone's dressed up and you know horror movie marathon at their university yeah and everybody's dressed up so it feels like halloween because it's such a celebration about horror films where everybody's dressed up throughout i would i would match that one if you're gonna do a double feature of like halloween but maybe not on that night with um fade to black because it's Oh, Fade he's Black's also wonderful. dressing in the character. So those two together would be a great double. Uh, I went with one that I've talked about a lot, but I'm going to keep talking about it until it gets released because to me, it is the thing I want to watch at Halloween now. And that's the Midnight Hour, the TV movie from 1985. Mm. This thing is still so underrated. And like uh, Mark Ward messaged me about this one a couple of weeks ago and told me I needed oh, to watch it as well. That's what Shane Bitterling showed it to me about maybe seven or eight years ago. And like, I hadn't heard of it and he had a pretty good copy and I was I was really blown away how it's like the ultimate. It's basically if you love and like for me, one of my earliest horror things, probably anyone in our generation was Thriller, the music video, what mm-hmm. like actually scared me. People might think that's silly now, but like I listened to it on the radio once and had to go outside because I was scared that something was going to get me in my house. That's how Aww. how much it got under my skin, like just Vincent Price's voice in that even. So uh, this is like a feature length version of uh, of that music video. It's like clearly influenced. Um, it is it is basically about a small town that is uh, has something in its past, like it's one of those old cl- colonial towns and they kind of undo these old colonial props and they go to a cemetery and they kind of joke around doing a ceremony and then everything from the dead comes back that night while they're having their big Halloween party. So it's a mixture of teenagers like Peter DeLuise from 21 Jump Street and uh, LeVar Burden, uh, 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 Henry Belafonte's daughter, Sabri Belafonte, all these people, you know, people, you Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Uh, is it a, it's just like a really interesting group of like 80 stars. Uh, and they uh, start having all these different, like all different kind of creatures come back. But that's what's super fun. And there's this really good sub story, subplot story of one of these, one of their friends dating who meets this like te- teen cheerleader that seems new to the town you don't really realize she's dead at the start and so as you watch it they have this romance but she's just one of the things that came back that night and it's a really sweet kind of center to it it's it's truly great i'm sure it's like there's probably a good copy on youtube but it it's a bummer that something like this hasn't gotten its full do it's got wolfman jack throughout it doing voice you know on the radio all the way through uh so super fun so i have to keep putting that on the radar for people if they haven't seen it already so that's uh the midnight hour for halloween which brings us it's on youtube yeah that that's i think probably the only way you can really see it well these days but it's probably a pretty good copy from memory 
Oh, and I have a correction. I remembered the popcorn killer, the possessor, in a like fleshy looking mask, mm-hmm. kind of like um like the the you know Cronenberg character from Nightbreed, where it's like this fleshy looking tight mask. I just looked at a picture. It's not, it's his actual flesh. So he, I don't think he's wearing a mask in that. It's but part anyway, of the he wears face, different disguises. His face yeah. is all fucked up. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing different disguises throughout, but yeah. Um, so yeah, still great. And now I had Midnight Hour on my list forever yeah it's so up your alley it's not even funny you're gonna love it um setting the theme scene for thanksgiving i will say and these are new ones so there won't be in your list i do feel like even though people keep every year saying we don't have thanksgiving really movies i'm always like well i really do believe black coat's daughter and your next Mm -hmm. your next next, it really is i mean it has all the hallmarks they just don't sit and i think the menu would be a fun adoption these days because of what it's about you know it's Kind of so I think there has been movies that have, and we talked about Christie a couple of weeks ago, um, but now we have a rule called Thanksgiving. So I'm curious. We can't, where, yeah. we can't talk about Christie anymore. We, we killed that. Oh, one we killed that one. Oh, fight. it died. To we blood can rage? only talk about blood rage. Damn, that was a tight contest though. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, we can't talk about Christie anymore. It's dead to us. It is not the cranberry sauce. Okay. So where did you <laughs> take your new Thanksgiving? Okay, so I went in a vastly different direction to um, a completely different country that doesn't even have Thanksgiving as we know it, which feels like the most un-American thing to do. But for some reason, when I was thinking about, um, I have two, by the way, I have two titles here. Um, When I was thinking about what Thanksgiving is to me, you know, it was always family together when I was little, but I have not been with my family for Thanksgiving since I was at college. Like I would never have gone home for Thanksgiving. You only had like three days break. So it always became the Friendsgiving, the I am gathering to have a meal and celebrate with my friends. And so it always became kind of this, I'm creating a family with whoever I'm with, this kind of celebration of people around me. People call that Friendsgiving. I think that's a thing. Friendsgiving. Yeah. It's a nice little um, word there, but yeah. So that is all I've ever had. And even now it's, it's always, you know, kind of sometimes we hang out with friends on Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's just us. Like it's always just this day of kind of create crafting your own family and celebrating the people around you your friends so i went with and it's been a long time since i talked about this one on the show and i love this movie midnight ballad for ghost theater i haven't seen this is this is a such a fucking deep cut i mentioned this on a show back i'm thinking like killer pov Mm -hmm. i I definitely heard the title from you yeah it's never had a release here in the States. Like, I think you'd have to dig for it. This is South Korean, it's a horror musical. So I will say this is most in the vein of um, when it came out critically, they kept saying it was like Tim Burton or Rocky Horror Picture Show. So if those two things are your jam, if you are a Tim Burton, Rocky Horror Picture Show fan, holy shit, you got to check out Midnight Ballad for Ghost Theater. The whole concept is this girl, um, she is really young and she is being raised by her grandmother and her grandmother loves going to the movies. And one night she gets up in the middle of the night and she says, you know what? I'm not feeling well. I don't know if I'm how much longer I'm going to be around, but I'm going to go to the movies one last time. You stay here. And grandma takes off to the movies and she disappears at the movie theater. Hmm. And the cops say she never came. We don't we don't know where she is. We She didn't disappear in the movie theater. We searched the whole theater. We don't know where your grandma is. She probably had dementia and wandered off. But the girl becomes obsessed. She's like 11, 12. She becomes obsessed with the fact that her grandmother went into the movie theater and disappeared in there. So she decides to get a part-time job working at the theater to try to find her grandmother there. And instead, what she finds is all of these ghosts that live in the theater 
from all different times of movies. So like from the 1940s, from the 1960s, they're all of these different ghosts from different periods of movies who had all worked in the film industry. Hmm. And so a lot of it, it's like Hugo, where it's about this love of making movies and of all of these different types of cinema. And she is becomes part of this ghost troupe. She still very much corporeal human, um, but they basically, because she doesn't have her grandmother anymore and she doesn't have a family, they become her family. And while she's still trying to uncover the story of what happened to her grandmother there, it is a bittersweet horror musical. I love this so much. It's like if Hugo got really fucking dark and mixed with Rocky Horror Picture Show and got, you know, questionably tasteless all at the same time. But it is all about that kind of cobbled together family and, you know, love the ones you're with. So hard to find. 2006, Midnight Ballad for Ghost Theater. This has gotten a cult audience, but even still, it did not get nearly the love and attention I felt it needed. Hmm. Now that that is a deep cut. I like it. Um, I think, well, if I was going to do just like family, family, I think the Brood's a pretty good family, family movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to reject the day completely and you could go with a prey and blood quantum double that I think is a oh, kind nice. of a fun rejection of Thanksgiving uh, with a couple uh-huh. great Native American themed horror films. But um, there is a perfect movie. I was thinking about this. There is a movie that maybe deserves to become the ultimate Thanksgiving movie because it involves Wendigos and fast feasting. And if you mm-hmm. eat to live, but you don't live to eat, we're talking about ravenous should be the Thanksgiving movie. Live. I mean, shouldn't that just be the Thanksgiving movie? Because we have Wendigo yeah. themes, so we have that that ties into Native lore, American Native American lore, themes, and yeah. we have people eating each other to stay alive. Robert Carlyle as a colloquian is one of the greatest characters in this movie. And it's all about, you so know, good. kind of the conquest of America and discovering new country, yeah. and yeah, it's still I, I think it, this that is was... the time to bring it back. I feel like if uh, New Bev has played this quite a lot, but I think they need to bring it back for Thanksgiving and become the movie that gets played, because uh, I think, I know we both love this film. It has a great score, oh my gosh, yeah. and it's very funny, and it's very well written, very well directed by the late Antonio Bird wish we had more movies from her uh, and i wish that movie was more popular in her time uh but it's a it's a cult classic now so i remember seeing this on probably like hbo or cinemax when i was in college and turning it on midway through mm-hmm. and not realizing what it was and being just completely enamored by it like it felt like you were watching like a period piece serious war film and then they're cracking jokes about eating each other it's wild and yeah. now re-watching it i was like oh my god this is like pure art it's just good I think I was coming off a train spotting high. And so I was like, as soon as I saw there was a movie called Ravenous in the theater, we all went and we didn't fully get it. We were like, huh, (laughs) that was a strange movie. And then over the years, I like it more and more. Um, Pretty fun Thanksgiving idea. Okay, let's go to Christmas. Yeah, like I was saying about Christmas, I do feel like it's pretty saturated. I feel like it doesn't feel sacrilegious anymore in the way that it used to be seen as, oh my God, you can't do that now it seems like a starting point for a lot of movies um so you know depends where you want to go i'm curious where you take it okay well i went to one that i've talked about before but it's admittedly my favorite christmas movie uh-huh. and this is day of the beast which oh. i still will always give love to oh, this i forgot it was I... set on christmas cool. set on christmas Perfect. eve this is alex de la iglesia uh-huh. spanish film the whole setup is that a priest has discovered that the antichrist is supposed to be born on Christmas Eve. But 
he really wants to get close to the Antichrist. But in order to get close to the Antichrist, he has to commit as many sins as possible to try to wash away his priesthood. And so it opens with this priest walking through a busy city street. And he's just like punching people. He drops a cross on a nun. He's just like stealing shit. It's crazy how just outlandish it is. And he is trying to get closer to Satan so that he can actually stop the Antichrist. And so he ends up teaming up with a sales clerk, a record sales clerk who specializes in death metal and like really, really hard black metal and a magician who claims to be an occultist, but isn't. He's just like a scam magician. And so it's basically a priest, a heavy metal fan, and a magician team up to fight the Antichrist on Christmas Eve. It's hilarious. And it's actually got some really chilling moments in it too. Like this is, it's a horror comedy at its core, but it does have some chilling moments. Like there's a goat scene that's pretty intense. That movie rules. We Didn't we host it for um, USC online screenings during that period? We did. A Blu-ray release, I think. We did host an online screening when Severin did the Mm Blu-ray release of this. That was back during the pandemic. So there is a beautiful full Severin Blu-ray release of Day of the Beast, which I may, I recorded commentary for a couple. I, I did Perdita Durango um, around the same time period. So I didn't do the Day of the Beast one, but this this film just is so good and does not get nearly the love that it needed. This was a really hard one to find for a long time. And it, yeah, it was. Day of the Beast, 1995. It was VHS. Wonderful anime. Christmas. Yeah, that was always hard. And uh, I like that. That's a good, that's a true old Christmas because you have to mm-hmm. look for it a little more. Uh, Christmas Evil is still my favorite personal Christmas movie. Always will be. Oh, yeah. Um, you always love I love that. that. I like even just Christmas in general. It's my favorite Christmas, not just horror. I just love that movie. Uh, it's so weird. Uh, but okay. Imagine this. This is my scenario, how I came to mind. Imagine if on the eve of Christ's birth, if one of the wise men decided to rip the baby out of Mary's stomach. That's how Inside rolls because Inside is the greatest film of the 2000s and it is it is set on Christmas which I totally forgot. I didn't even catch I knew that but I didn't make the connection it's You're right. It it's is subtle, like they they have Christmas lights and stuff but it's one of those movies that it's perfect as an old Christmas because it's not mm-hmm. pushing it in your face. Uh but this movie just came back into my brain because it uh, somebody's doing a fancy Blu-ray of it and I bought it instantly. I haven't gotten it yet but I was like so excited because that's a movie that it's just so intense. Not many movies have really captured the ability to do unrelenting in that way where it just keeps going. It's only like, you know, 80 minutes long and mm-hmm. it's just a total. But yeah, so a woman who is pregnant uh, loses her husband in a car accident that opens the movie. And then she's about to give birth a few months later in her house. And a strange woman played by Beatrice Dahl, uh, who, who has played a strange woman many times before from Betty Blue to. Uh, That's what she does. She's very good at it. Has that great gap between her teeth. Uh, she just wants to take it. And for no reason, kind of like The Stranger, she's just like, because I want one, and that's it. And it's just a very intense, scary movie, and I think it kind of celebrates the uh, defending your, uh, the difficulty of birth <laughs> for Christmas. So it's not the most uh, happy movie, but it's I think it's a great Christmas movie. Um, okay, so closing out our festival and leading us to the new year, New Year's Eve. Uh, the only movie I, well, there's New Year's Eve, of course, but Terror Train is actually set on New Year's Eve, and I that's a fact I didn't actually think about you know but it is so if you're looking for a legit ones but what were your ideas here okay so i have to say new year's eve is one of my favorite holidays Mm -hmm. or more of new year's day Mm -hmm. because um new year's day i always i remember that about you i remember that i'd forgotten i I love new year's day It's the day that I wake up feeling more motivated than any other day of the year. Mm. 
And I wish I could bottle the way that I always feel on New Year's Day where I wake up with this, okay, it's time to to get some shit done. It's time to, you know, have this motivation to feel like I can I can start again, like I can do something special. I wake up every New Year's Day feeling so fucking amazing and ready to go. And then it'll wear off by like mid-February. But if I could just bottle that and keep that all year long, like I want to wake up every day feeling like it's New Year's Day. I see you waking up and, and just so, pushing play on your little headset and it just is like New Year's evil. New Year's evil. Just doing evil. that little voice. Evil. Um, so okay. I'm not I'm not a big partier. So like the New Year's uh-huh. Eve thing never really did it for me. I usually put together a puzzle and, you know, eat free. And that's about the extent of my mm-hmm. New Year's Eve. But- New Year's Day fucking rocks. So what I specifically focused on was the idea of purging something and bringing something else into your life or purging something and coming to terms with the demon. And so I have two because they're so vastly different, but I started with Gothic from 1986. All right. The yeah, which is um, it's basically the story of how Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, where it's a group of people gather. It's um, Byron, uh, Mary Shelley, um, Claire, Sh- I think. Yeah, Shelley. There's um, a couple of different. Uh, it's Shelley's husband is play. Uh, Mary Shelley's Sands. husband's. Gabriel yeah, it's Julian Byrne. Sam. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Byrne is Byron. Um, so it's a group of and Dr. Palladori is there as well, if memory serves. So yeah, it's a group of kind of writers and, you know, thinkers, philosophers from this time period gather at this estate for a weekend and they decide to hold a contest for who can write the scariest story. This is in, in, um, amongst a giant sea of like depravity that they're committing because this is very much kind of the the age of, you know, opulence. And so there's all types of like sex and, you know, um, Gabriel Byrne basically has sex with everybody in this movie, which is fine, but good for him. And uh, yeah, lots of um, drinking and, you know, opium use and stuff like that. But they start telling each other these scary stories to have a contest of who can create the scariest, which is the true story of how Frankenstein is written. But in it, they realize as they're telling the stories that they all have these kind of demons inside them. And as they're telling the story, something kind of manifests itself in the castle and comes to life and starts attacking them. And in some cases, like the woman playing Claire becomes possessed and starts kind of possessing all of them. And it's up to Mary Shelley, who's played by Natasha Richardson in it to defeat it. And that is what she bases the story of Frankenstein off of is kind of manifesting your demon and then coming to terms with it and defeating it. And so I've always loved this movie because it's Ken Russell. So it gets real fucking weird. It's full of depravity. And then it gets way fucking weird. And it's got all these weird religious um symbolism and just the you know claire uh has like boob eyes at one point where she's like look into my eyes and then the camera pans down and her eyes are in the middle of her boobs um so it's like totally weird surrealism but at the end of the day it's all about kind of um understanding your your demons and your fears and releasing it into the world and accepting it i do have a warning about this film uh i watched this i rented this when i was 10 and maybe it wasn't for me so if you have a 10 year old, <laughs> maybe this movie is not like, so I, I rented this at 10. Did I mention the copious depravity? I in truly, because the cover is a great cover and it made, it was one, of those, one of those VHS covers when you're a kid, you're like, oh, okay, I'll get that next with my horror bundle. And I remember watching with my friend, we just truly 
did not get this movie. And then I looked at the name Ken Russell. So the next time, I'm not even kidding. The next time I went to the video store, I rented Whore. And this is the video store. I had 10. And I then- Whore? Why? Because I was like going, well, it's Ken Russell. I rented that. And then after that, I was like, maybe Ken Russell's not for me. Now, as a grown adult, I am a big fan of Ken Russell. But as a young person, yeah, I didn't fully understand those movies. Uh, no Lara the White Worm. I watched you know, that one crazy. too, probably around. Phallic there. nuns yeah. dancing around a snake. I definitely didn't see Devils till much later. But no, but this was one of those, like, if I go back to my childhood of the movies I rented that I was like, whoa, not on my wavelength. This was like top of that list, but because I was way too young. Uh, so I rented Gothic when I was in high school. This is one that I watched in high school and I loved this movie so much this is one of those that i would be like talking about in college and nobody else has seen it but Mm -hmm. me but i was like all ready to go off on you know how they portrayed lord byron and all this i love this movie still do but yeah manifesting your demon and releasing it into the world so that you can walk away you know free from it um the other one that i picked is a more recent selection but it's about the same thing in a much more sinister way this is sissy from 2022, Australian film directed by Hannah Barlow, love her, and Kane Sennis. Um, and this is about a girl who had a very traumatic childhood, but she ends up becoming a lifestyle vlogger, specifically focusing on kind of mental health until she runs into a couple, um, she runs into a friend from her childhood, one of her childhood best friends who says, oh my gosh, I'm getting married. You have to come to the bachelorette party. It's this weekend. It's all of our childhood friends are going to be there. And she arrives and suddenly you see all of this self-help stuff that she's been dispensing, all of the, you know, kind of ways that she's been helping herself, that she has found uh, ways to kind of you know, deal with all of her trauma. As soon as she gets around this group of girls from her childhood, it all just melts away. And then stuff gets psychotic from there. Hmm. I loved this movie so much, thought it was really smart. But for me, it was again about the idea of reinventing yourself, of of setting things loose into the world and uh, coming to terms with them, which I always think is a lot of New Year's Day is me setting goals for myself. And then I always make a list on my computer. And then throughout the year, I'll check in and see what goals I have completed and which ones I haven't and what I wanted to work on. It's never as easy as just like quit smoking. Um, I did that one year. It took me several years to do that. Mm. But yeah, that was that was one of my goals one year. But yeah, it's always something kind of, you know, like I want to do this much and yeah, trying to qualify. Reinvention. It, so. it, it's rife for horror. I, I think I want to write something said on New Year's. I think it's a good New Year's Eve. I, th- I think there's something there is so many different directions you can go it's Mm -hmm. it's interesting yeah no that's my it's my holiday of reinvention halloween you know is always going to be my favorite holiday just because of the horror stuff but um new year's is my my reinvention holiday where i feel kind of a, a personal purge um a fun one that i would just throw out there that would be fun on the party vibe of a new year's eve i think Gaspar Noe's climax would make a lot of sense yes! to just throw it on and it's just chaos in the background of you. It somehow of a, does, you know. even with the snow outside. Yeah, it, I think that could work for some people. Um, but but I have a perfect one for me at least, and I think you'll agree for for this one reason. Uh, I think if New Year's Eve is the night before we are going to celebrate the most important month, January Jallo, then we January Jalo. Then we should launch New Year's Eve with the movie that really, even though it's not the first, it is the movie that shaped the style, the color, the palette 
Blood and Black Lace should become the New Year's Eve movie because A, it's beautiful. See, so if you had a party, you could put that on the background and people would think, oh, this is really classy and like elegant and gorgeous looking. But it's also the movie that launches you directly into uh, January Jalo, which we should all be celebrating. Uh, shout out to Cinematic Void for doing their uh, amazing screenings every year and promoting the hell out of that cool concept. Um, and it, and I, I just think that'd be a really fun. It, it struck me as this was the hardest one for me to find, like when I was trying to plug these that was the one i had to be most like oh of course you know january jello uh, but blood and black lace really is a gorgeous movie and it's you know all these amazing models and it really has this color palette that had like i hadn't really seen before this movie and then after even though girl who knew too much is earlier it doesn't have that same color style obviously it's black and white so this is to me the launch pad and for you if i was programming your new year's eve party movie you know what i'd do Becca invites you to party at her New Year's with a little party for Murder Rock. Oh, gosh, I love some Perfect Murder Rock. Movie That's a great New Year's, New Year's Eve party yeah. movie. I mean, if the new Bev played Murder Rock at midnight on New Year's Eve, we would have to go. I would go. Yeah, I would we'd have to go there. Why hasn't the new Bev played Murder I, Rock I can't yet? say they haven't. That. I don't know they haven't, but as far as I know. Okay. Um, anyway, that takes you through our entire holiday list. Super fun to do that. Uh, maybe one year we'll redo them all. Um, but it gives you some plenty of fun stuff to watch. So next year, or next next year, I'm already there. Next show is going to be our big top 10 countdown of 2023. And our last show for a month. It's going to be a our last break. show for yep. a month. Yeah, we're taking a break because Elric's having like a mental um, I'm always breakdown. having a breakdown. He's always having a mental breakdown. Um, I hate when I'm the like the level. Wait, actually, one. I thought I was um, the one that had my shit together earlier this year. <laughs> I think we take turns. Earlier this Maybe year. We no, take we take turns. We take having... turns. Like right now I've got my shit together. Okay, and good. yeah, Sounds we, good. we switch because earlier in the year I was totally like losing it. And now, yeah, we can swap. It's okay. It's okay. That's, That's good, why yeah. we're here. We're here it's for a each support other. system show. Um, yeah, it totally is. Um, but yeah, so we're going to take a month break, which is exciting because I get to go watch a bunch of true crime and great British Bake Off shows. And uh, then we'll be back in January, all fresh and bubbly, ready to dive in for we got some really exciting shows already slated in January, including a cool January Giallo one. And I'm already working on booking February out as well. But our Deep Cuts episode on Patreons will be continuing. So we'll still have those going through all of December and January as usual. And yeah, thank you all so much for support. Who should make our top 10 of the year list? I don't even know yet. I still have like two more to watch. I have a strong, I think I have kind of a strong five. And then there's going to be some randomness happening in the back end. As we mm-hmm. talked about last year, it's it's not a terrible year for horror, but it's definitely not as strong as some recent years. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I did want to say that I, there's one movie I want you to watch for that if you can. Uh, and that is a movie called Venus. I think you will I've, appreciate that film. Literally right there okay. on my okay, list good. at the bottom. I have to watch it this weekend. And, that and is I don't think our listeners that... are really listening. Watch that one either. I think it fell under, fell through the cracks. And it's, um, I think it's Paco Plaza. It's one of the rec guys. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's not all of it. But when it goes to the crazy stuff, it is definitely up your alley. The scenes that are crazy are so up both our alley. It's kind of our intersection of the kind of weird horror we like. Um, and it just seems to be under the radar. So, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, and there's a, there's a handful, there's a couple new ones I still haven't seen, but there's also somewhere it's like, I don't want to watch them, you know, cause you've, I've now watched, I've seen like 65 new horror films this year. I've looked at my list. It's like, 65. yeah, I think I'm at, I'm lot, at 60, you know, some. yeah, for, for new horror yeah. films. That's a lot to kind of cover. So, 
Um, I feel like anything that somebody has recommended and said, oh my gosh, you have to watch this. I have made sure to watch within the last month. Like I have really done my due diligence to get anything that I thought probably might have made my top 10 list. Yeah, so we'll fill in a couple more. We've yeah. got two, a couple yeah. weeks till that episode, and uh, that'll be fun. So we won't do so much up top next week. We'll probably only we won't cover anything unless it's saying it's not going to make the list, I guess. But yeah. we'll mostly be jumping into that. Um, very exciting, and yes, Almost thank you, there. thank you to the listeners because I did see a lot of people sharing the countdowns. I guess, I guess one of the podcast apps or whatever tells you what you've been listening to all year. So we're getting a lot of people sharing that. Oh, Colors of the Dark, I listened to for. 10,000 hours or so it's kind of cute to see those so they listen to us blather for 10,000 hours that's amazing thank you all so much it really does mean the world to us that we get to keep doing this after 10 years of doing this that you know we still can keep doing this and we get paid by the word which is the great thing (laughs) uh that's why we took so long and our our one hour dream has not happened yet it never has happened it will never happen happen. no i keep telling you make this ernie believes but it's never gonna happen ernie i try no make this our 2023 new year's goal yes we will start with a one hour episode it's gonna happen by february the show next year people are gonna be like like all of our hopes and dreams all next year people going you know colors of dark such a tight podcast they just hit that one hour mark and then it's like hard (laughs) out i am impressed with them as podcast except people when we shorten our show people complain say we liked it long and i'm like yeah i know but on zoom it gets tired. Is that the the pure cinema one? No, it just or all. this just, one. If, if, if we've all, always had that times we were short and things. People like, yeah. but I do. I am a bit of a believer in the like the one hour commute. I feel like that's a good length for pod. So that's mine. Is I'm like that's I got mine's an hour and fifteen to USC on most days. That's like a perfect. But but you know me, like so. four and a half minutes ago we had a clean out and then we talked about why podcast should be talked, shorter. We kept going. So we now we're actually going. talking about the length of podcast being the issue while we keep talking about. It. Uh, so at this point, we might as well just keep going. Meta. Okay. okay. Right, thank you to the okay. listeners. Thank you to Fangoria. Uh, <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. See you soon. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 